You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. Giving you the love vibrations, we will be talking about 1972, the fourth album by indie folk musician Josh Rouse. It was released on Ryko Disc on October 26, 2003. He's got me under his charms. On the other mic today is the guitarist and frontman for UK band DHT, Dan Hughes. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you taking the time to come on, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about talking about this record. So this is one of the first records I put on my list, and I didn't know if anybody else would know it. Yeah. So uh, when you picked it, I was very excited about that. So Dan, where, uh, where are you holding up right now? Uh, I live just outside London in a place called Northamptonshire in uh, England, UK. So uh, you, are, you, are you feeling safe where you are? Everything okay? Yeah, everything's okay. I mean, it's a strange time all around, isn't it? So, but um, no, it's fine. It's all good. All right, great. So, uh, tell me, how did this record enter your life? I suppose Josh Rouse entered my life when I um, bought a. There's a UK publication called Mojo Magazine, mm -hmm. and uh, one of his tracks was on a compilations uh, CD, and I was like, I like that track, and um, and it sort of like um, I was intrigued, and I brought the record. And then from then on, I kind of bought all of his, I think, like most of his records. Okay. And do you remember specifically picking this one? Was this the first one you got? On the um, on the CD, it was the last track of this album that was on it. Oh, okay. So um, I'm not sure whether to talk about it now or at the end. Yeah, we can, <laughs> wait, we can wait till that to the end. So uh, I was just yeah, curious. Yeah. So yeah, this was also the first album that I, I heard by Josh Rouse. So I read a good review. That's what I remember. It was either in Pitchfork or the AV Club. And I went back and read both of those reviews. And it could have been just that they both said something good about it. And I just picked it up. So this was uh, obviously in 2003. And I was buying a lot of music at this point. So this was about a year before I moved to Poland. Uh, and about three years after I worked at this independent record store. And so I worked there for a year. And then I ended up getting a desk job. And from there, from so from about 2000 to 2003, I bought a ton of music because I had all this knowledge that I had gotten while I was working at a record store. Mm -hmm. And now I was making uh, more money than you make when you work at a record store. So I could actually buy music. <laughs> uh, and so I was just, I would take a flyer, you know, sometimes if something sounded interesting and if it, it wasn't there used and eh, sometimes I would just pick it up. So, uh, and this was one of those and just almost immediately I, I really fell in love with this record. And I went back and bought some of the stuff that he did before that. So I have Nashville and Under Under the Cold Blue Stars, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I I like those records. Nothing has quite hit me as hard as this one, though. Do you like, have you had his other ones? Because like, he moved to Spain, didn't he? And then started doing more Spanishy stuff. I tell you, I've only heard the album. So after this one, like I said, the year later, I moved to Poland. And then for about two years, I just didn't follow up on music as closely as I had been uh, because I was in an all new environment doing a lot of different things. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that fell by the wayside just a little bit was music. I was still listening to, to new music, but it was uh, it was a different situation because I went from, you know, being able to go buy, you know, a used record for, you know, UCD probably at the time for let's say like seven, eight bucks yeah. to there not being, any used CD places here that I could find. And it would be like 45 or 75 Zawadi for a, oh, wow. a CD here. So 
I just wasn't, I was buying things here and there, normally just by bands that I was really crazy into, or if it was at a really nice price, which every once in a while you'd find, I'd pick some up, you know, I'd take a flyer on something. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't really follow up on his career until just recently after getting Spotify and being able to, to say, oh, he's probably got, he's released a bunch of stuff. So I listened to whatever it was he put out, I think in 2017, the name of which escapes me right now, because I've been really listening to this one a lot. His stuff is like is consistently good. True. Makes bad records. He just makes good records. Yeah, he's he's a really good songwriter. He's got a, a really nice voice. He's one of those I like a lot of what he does. I don't love a lot of what he does. Exactly the same. Like like you know that you're not going to be let down by him, but he's never going to rock you. He's not going to change your world. Yeah. And this is the one that came closest to to doing that. And I think this felt like a bit of a, a writer's experiment. And every once in a while, uh, an artist will just decide they, they want to try something, like a, like a very specific thing. Sometimes, you know, obviously, an artist will go into the studio with a theme in mind or, you know, a set of songs that they're they're looking to do, obviously. Yeah. and But other times it feels more like an experiment, like a writer's experiment. Like, um, and this is, is one of those things. So let's go ahead and jump into the track by track analysis. Track one is the title track, 1972. She was feeling 1972. Grooving to a carol king tune. Is it too late, baby? Is it too late? This is just really a low-key entry into the world of the album. So when we were talking about this being a bit of a writer's experiment, this whole album really sounds like the radio from 1972, but basically AM radio in America. So mm -hmm. a lot more smooth, a little bit funky here and there, a little bit soulful. Uh, so this isn't FM radio. This isn't Jimi Hendrix burning a, a guitar. Uh, this is more, you know, Carol King, which is who is name checked in this uh, opening yep. track. This feels a little bit more like table setting um, than an actual song. I wonder if this song would hold up all on its own. If I just heard this song without knowing anything about it, I don't. I wonder if I would like this song or not. It's like a prelude, isn't it? Rather, than, it's not, not. It's almost like not a song. It's like an introduction. Yeah, and it would almost work if, if we were seeing the same characters throughout the album, which I was a little bit surprised that we weren't, because we get introduced to a few characters here. And if they do reappear, I didn't, I didn't quite catch that. It's not as obvious in the lyrics. Uh, but it sets itself in 1972 with some of the, uh, the vocabulary that's being used here, where it talks about you know smoking pot and playing pool. Uh, but for me, it's like screwing in a motel room. Sounds very 1970s to me. Uh, watching the news on Channel 2 <laughs> sounds very 1970s to me. What's on uh, Channel 2 in America? In what, was, what was the channel like in Channel 2? Uh, well, this would have been back before there was cable. So that meant there was the local. So that would have been, let's say NBC would have been on Channel 2. CBS would have been on Channel 4. 
uh, your, your local UHF was on a different dial, you know, and this was like going to physically change the, the, the channel yourself. But yeah, so that, you know, they would have the, the local news and then they would go into, you know, their programming and then the nightly news, which they still do, but it's harder just to, to find where everybody is because there's, there's a lot more numbers out there. Sure. So yeah, it, it works great as an intro. I, I think it really, really sets the stage for this album. What are your thoughts here? Like, like you said, it, it's, 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 I suppose it's not really a song in the way that it, it would ever play on the radio, but it kind of, it sort of draws you in. Like, it, like I think this album is an album that sort of touches you on the shoulder and then draws you in. It doesn't hit you in the face. Like it's not, do you know what I mean? It's kind of very, almost, almost atmospheric. Yeah. So a little handshake, walk yeah. you through the threshold. Yeah. Okay, so that brings us to track two, Love Vibration. What are your thoughts on this one? My memories on this one is is that I would probably say if there was a single from this album, this would be it. So this is the song that that you that he probably I think he made a video for this song, um, but it kind of picks up tempo. And I remember the video that that album of the of the um, music video for the for the song. I think that it's probably one of the song songs he still plays a lot live. So that that's a testament of like it's quite a staple song in in his sort of back catalogue. Okay, yeah, I've never seen him live, and I'm pretty sure if this wasn't, I'm almost positive it was a single. Uh, I was talking about maybe doing this album for a different show, and this was the one song that the other person knew. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, and it's because those first few moments of the song, it starts out pretty mellow, and at one yeah. point, I and I really thought for like the first, but maybe thirty seconds of the song, I was like, oh, is this whole whole thing going to be this mellow? And then it just, boom, it just picks right up. It's bouncy and it's got this really great instrumentation and it's got this kind of like a funky bass line and those keys and a horn section and they do a little call and response with the vocal. Yeah. Uh, my only thing is I, I thought the horn outro was a little super, superfluous, you know, what I mean? but, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, it's a, almost a five minute long song and when I felt it could have been trimmed just a little bit, but that's a, a really minor quibble because it's a it's a really fun song. Uh, it tells us we are staying in the in the seventies. It still has that feel to it without rehashing. It could be a song that that, that if it, like the kind of song could be covered by someone else in the seventies. Yes, definitely. Like imagine Dan Rosson's Supremes and then or or Motown Bang definitely um, covering it. I hadn't thought about that, but now I will think about nothing but that <laughs> when I hear the song. That would be that would be very cool little Motown review behind the song. That would yeah. be great. Um, I, I definitely sensed that off this track um, that it kind of um, is a kind of song that that a more maybe polished popular artist would take and make it into a massive hit. Yeah, I think there's a. I'm su I'm surprised that a, a few somebody hasn't taken a stab at a, a couple of these songs on here that they're. Uh, you know they're they're kind of superficially the '70s. So he's not really he's not going for any one particular style or sound. Just more of that feel, and I think that's what 
one of the things that makes this pretty successful. It's a theme album, isn't it? Rather yeah. Than, as opposed to a concept album, it's a theme album. Like it has a theme, strong theme running through the whole record. Yeah, and it, but it, you know, more of a musical theme as opposed to like a lyrical theme yeah. for the most yeah. part. So there's probably some here. So like I said, I wasn't sure with the setting up with that title track if we weren't going to be following the same two or three characters. I was wondering if it was going to be more of a concept album. You know, maybe those stories weren't going to hang together until one complete story, but we were going to be seeing the same people. Yeah, and we're not. So I mean, that's uh, that can he can try that some other time. I will pass that information yeah. along to him that he should do that. And uh, let him know. Let him know. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll we'll have another uh, record to talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, track three, sunshine. Come on, lady. Come on, lady. Take this bum and make him right. And this one it starts at the beginning sounding vaguely like the Beach Boys, but more from the 80s Beach Boys, like not great Beach Boys, but not good Beach Boys, but it doesn't stay there. So I was kind of afraid that this was going to be a little Kokomo cheesy, uh, and it's not. And this is another one that it has a few of these just lyrical tags that strike it as being the 70s, like the, yeah. the way he uses the word bum, like take this bum and make him right. Yeah, uh, where I, you know you may call a homeless person a bum today. In the seventies, it wouldn't be unusual for somebody whose lifestyle you didn't necessarily agree with as a bum. You know, somebody you thought was just kind of lazy. And we don't use it quite as much that way anymore. And yeah. so that really kind of take, takes it back there. There was what is? There's another one. Oh, you know, be my steady, uh, as in my steady girlfriend, which actually sounds a little bit more nineteen fifties. Uh, the only thing that gets me here is when he says, um, I want to be your baby daddy, because I don't remember hearing that until the 90s. And that so that just feels like there's like twice on this album where it feels like a little bit of anachronism, you know, which, you know, is fine. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily take me out of it. But just when I hear baby daddy, I'm like, no, I don't think people were saying that in the 70s. But maybe I don't know. I was, you know, is, I was this, born. Is this um, kind of uh, a more of a West, this strikes to me being more of a West Coast kind of record generally? Yeah, like I said, Beach Boys was the first thing that I touched on. Yeah. What do you think about this one? I kind of felt like um, that there was a kind of a bossa nova kind of light kind of feel to it. Mm. Um, and um, it's quite sort of like a um, artist development thing where he, where his later records where he moved to Spain and made a lot of spanish-speaking records it kind of that kind of influence has sort of has come in there i think that's what kind of reminds me of that track and, and, and it's kind of like it is very it's sort of sunny and light that's the, the thing i got from this record that track sure yeah and uh, the opposite of sunny and light uh, track four james Back to what he had 
do you think here? Kind of reminds me of James Taylor, um, like a Motown kind of vibe. I like the flute that's on it as well. The flute. Yeah. What do you think? I love this song. Um, this is probably my second favorite track here, and there's there's a lot of interesting things going on with this one. Uh, so he really he's singing with a falsetto, I think, for the first time uh, that we've yeah. really seen here. And lyrically, this is one that really this tells a full story. Uh, I, I think in the first three we get flashes of it, but James tells an, an actual complete story. Yeah. So this is about a man who leaves his family basically because even though he says he doesn't have a problem with alcohol, but you know he can't stop hanging out in bars. So he thought he'd be better off by himself. He takes off and uh, eventually gets a little bit drunk and uh, a little bit of courage up and calls the family to apologize to them and then hangs up and goes back into the bar. And that's the full story. And this feels like the darkest type. Like this is a life I could have lived, had very different things happen before I moved to, moved to, to Poland. I'm glad it did that. And yeah, same here. I mean, it's not necessarily, <laughs> this is not necessarily me, but this feels like an extension of, um, yeah. this is, you know, four bad decisions away from, <laughs> uh, from being, and I just, and I've known a small handful of people like this kind of, you know, yeah. uh, I'm not quite as charming as James is in the song. So that's probably what's kept me around. But, um, but another one, you know, just the way he talks about, uh, calling on the payphone and then disappearing into the neon light. Uh, both of those, well, obviously could have happened in the 90s, just again, has that very 70s feel to it. And I love the jazz flute on this. And I, that's a sentence I'd never thought I would ever say in my entire life because it's just, yeah. it fits on here so well and it's great. Uh, it's got cool, like kind of hand percussion. I don't know if they're actually bongos or not, but it, it, it sounds a little bit like that. So while the uh, lyrical content is pretty dark. I think the music manages because of the flute, because of the, the percussion, it keeps it a little bit buoyant and bouncy. So it doesn't become overwhelmingly sad. Yeah. I find a lot of the time with, with uh, Josh Rouse's music, he kind of has that balance between it being sort of like happy, but sad. So mm -hmm. like, like the light and the shade is quite like, um, dynamic in his songs. So like you said, he can have like the music can be quite happy lyrically be quite sad so it's like a juxtaposition between the two but yeah it kind of fits and works and that doesn't always work because sometimes it's just a little bit too much of a whiplash uh not necessarily with josh rouse but i mean just like an artist in general uh but this is one of those cases that it works because it's still the, the music is pretty dark i mean this is not the bouncy um 70s that we hear in those first three tracks no. So it's uh, it is a little bit down, but it just has enough of those elements and flares to keep it going, to keep it just just light enough to go on. Uh, I don't really care for the um, what sounds like a movie clip or something at the very end. Yeah. And that's probably the only thing that kind of takes me a little bit out of it. I'm not sure what that's from, or I couldn't find any any reference to it. But I first listened to this album when I was still at school, and um, it, it it just always remind me of America. Like, hmm. like in being in England, like you have like these dream, like dreams and expectations, like, like the bars are long and like, like the weather's always sunny in America and stuff like that. So that's what kind of reminds me of a lot of this record. I think it's like American stereotypes. Okay, yeah, in a good so, way. <laughs> well, as long as it's in a good way, it's a uh, that's nice. So track five, slave yeah. ship. 
This is another one I, I really like this song you know dodgy metaphor aside uh you know I, I think singing about a slave ship lost at sea is a little bit of a strange way to tell somebody that you love them but the the piano on this and then the hand claps this is what because when the way he sings like uh, in a country would normally annoy the hell out of me and yeah. in this case is the song is just so buoyant that i don't even notice it that much it's just so charming that it doesn't vocals bother me absurd, don't they like his vocals are like like they're, they're more like an instrument as opposed to a voice yeah like sometimes you'll sing something and you don't really know what it is he just is more like a sound yeah because he's got a couple of those and this is another thing that i i find what just because this song is just so relentlessly cheerful in a good way, you know, and it's just great. I, I put this on, I used to make a mixed disc of my favorite songs of the year and kind of just give it away to people. Yeah. And I had included this song because uh, it just fit better than, than the other songs. And a friend of mine who was really more into like progressive metal uh, wrote <laughs> me an email. I was like, I love that song. And the next time I saw him, he was, he was kind of singing it. So it's one of those, it's just, it's, it's infectious and it's, it's really, a good song. Yeah. Uh, and because it, it's like there's these little things that I think in a song that wasn't quite as good would annoy me when he does that little ah sound. Yeah. So I was at, I was at university when the Beastie Boys put out what was that check your head or ill I think it was ill communication and there's that one where it says it does he makes that noise and he says it's the disco call and yeah. the people who lived above me would just do that all the time and it annoyed the shit out of me and. Yeah. That sound reminds me a little bit of that, uh, you know, 70s disco call. And yet I am not annoyed by it in this song. And I think in almost any other song, I would hate it just for that. And in this case, no, because it's just such a fun, peppy, good song. I put um, also on this track about having a Beach Boys vibe to it. Yeah, I think it's just missing the harmonies. But yeah, you could, I could see the, the Beach Boys doing something. But not, but not, but not in the same kind of like, it's not like. He's not vocally good enough to be able to pull off the Beach Boys, but that's not that's no mean feat. Right, not yeah. Easy thing to do, but yeah, not, not many people are. All right, so that brings us to the end of side one of 1972 by Josh Rouse with my special guest Dan Hughes. Uh, now, Dan, I know right now you are, well, I probably would be, but are let's say promoting behind uh, your band DHT and your most recent EP of the same name. Yeah. Uh, so tell me uh, now. I know you also we spoken over the weekend and you said that you also tour as a as a solo artist so yeah. tell me a little bit about this project dht driving down the road there's a field on the other side feels like fire Stop. 
JST sort of uh, came about by um, me playing in a band, and we uh, it was a five six piece band, and then basically the other members left, and then uh, it was three of us, so we kind of scaled it down. To Dan, this means Dan Hughes Trio DHT, and um, from then on it's kind of become like a recording project. We've done two records, and the first one called Neil. And the second one is self-titled. And um, I sort of play uh, solo shows and then occasionally we do sort of like trio show, like full trio shows as well, um, all around, anywhere we can get our gigs. And so Neil came out in 2016 and uh, it sounds a bit different than what you are. Of course, it's been four years, so but it sounds a bit different from the most recent record. Uh, and now I know it's an EP and... Uh, listening to it, I noticed that the first four or five tracks all sound really very different. They don't seem to hang together uh, as much as, let's say, a Neil that I think had a, yeah. a fairly cohesive sound. Uh, was that is that just the nature of it being uh, an EP? Is it the or just because it's been a four year break, or are you trying different things? I guess my my question is that is that on purpose that they they sound so different? I think. Oh- always our, our, our sort of blessing is our curse in the way that we can be very different from each track but i think it's even like i think the the i think you're right i think neil flows better than the most recent one but i think there's some good i think but i think the songwriting is better on this one that makes sense oh perfect sense yeah so uh you know having a cohesive sound is very different than having you know the better writing or not so my, my favorite track on dht on the on the ep is freedom 35 It reminds me ever so slightly of eight, uh, late 80s Pink Floyd. Uh, yeah. Just the way yeah. the, the, the echoey kind of guitar, the, the guitar yeah. work on that is, is great. I really love the guitar work on that. Oh, uh, the, uh, the vocals are obviously not, it's, it, what is that from? Because it's not, it doesn't sound like you singing, or at least it doesn't sound like you singing on the other tracks. Uh, and it's more of a spoken word approach. Um, that uh, that was a, a singer called uh, a folk artist called Malcolm Dunn, who's a Scottish guy, and um, we wanted somebody quite droll and and Scottish to to speak over it, um, and he seemed like the right guy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we yeah, I'm, like get we'll get you on. I'm not familiar with that, but uh, if that's what you're going for, that was uh, that's what happened. So yeah, I really I enjoyed that. It's uh, it has that kind of experimental without being crazy, you know, so just uh, they said the, the repeated lick that goes throughout is, is really catchy and just lodges itself in my brain. And so I, I listened to that quite a few times. I, I enjoyed that one a lot. Thank you. Yeah. 
Uh, so for people who would like to uh, know more about you and more about the band now, I found you on Spotify, easy to find DHT. Uh, if they wanted to come find you on, let's say, social media or other places, if you, your website, where where can the people find you? Uh, I've got a website, uh, which is uh, com. DanHughesMusic.com. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll be sure to include a link in the show notes when this comes out. Uh, and are you on uh, Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? You want people to find you? Or is the, yeah, so, uh, DHT on Facebook or Dan Hughes Music on Facebook. Right. Um, but the, but the, all, all, all the links are on there on the website, so you'll be able to find it on there as well. And they're able to find all your music and, and whatnot and your happening. So when, uh, when we finally get to, to leave the house and you get to play live music again, uh, I'm, I'm assuming they can find out information about that there. Yeah, all the gigs, all gigs, all the live shows and um, any uh, podcasts I'm, I would put down on my website. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, they'll be sure to find this one when it's ready. So awesome. let's go ahead and hear from one of our friends. Hey, what's up? This is Shane. And this is Rory. And we're Weencast. If you're into Ween or a music lover, check out our podcast. We talk about Ween shows, Ween interviews, everything related to the band Ween. Check us out. And now, back to the show. Okay, so let's go ahead and flip the record over. Track oh. six, Comeback, Light Therapy. you to come back Maybe if the sun would shine you bring my happy back In the dark What do you think about this one? Come back, uh, it reminds me it's one of my favourite uh, Josh Rouse tracks, actually not just this album, I think generally has a kind of uh, Marvin Gaye kind of feel, R&B sort of um, vibe to it, I think. Um, funky bass line. And yeah, I I'd, I'd love it, actually. It's one of my favorite Josh Rush tracks. I can see why this, uh, that, that throbbing bass line to open it. Now, I know it, this just got, well, not just, it, got re- it didn't get released on vinyl until 2013. And I did not realize that. I haven't been able to track it down. but uh, So I've always, li- I had this on CD and now I've been listening to it on streaming. Uh, but the thought of you know flipping this over and this opening up side two is a great way to say, yep, we're okay. gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue with this experiment. It's gonna be a little bit different. It's this uh, album is like the perfect vinyl record, isn't it? Yeah, and it uh, hard to find right now, so I'm gonna have to yeah. keep my eyes open. So if I, if any any of my listeners out there has an extra copy they want to send to me, you know you know where to find me. Or me, or me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll share it. Dan and I will share the record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be we'll be we'll be good parents to it. We promise. <laughs> it opens up in this you know we're still in the same universe and this one like you said is a little bit more on the funk side that we didn't get a, we didn't get a whole lot of that on, on side one so you know he's not really going for any one sound nor is he really trying to copy any one artist it's just more of if you were just spinning the dial in 1972 you're going to find some of these tracks on there uh, so yeah, so this is a good one. Uh, and cause really for me, this middle part, so from James slave ship, come back, it's just, it's just, this is really, you know, the, the it opens part. well, but man, it's just, he's just killing it right here in this middle part of the record. Yeah, I agree. 
Uh, and it, it's got uh, some more jazz flute uh, and it's got some of those disco strings towards the end. I think the only thing this is really missing is that funny thing they used to do with the hi-hat in the 1970s, you know, when it's playing off the bass and then it's more like the hi-hat's a little bit open. And it, it, that's the only thing I think that the, there's a little bit of a missed opportunity in, in that. Other than that, this is, uh, this is a good one. I kind of feel like this whole record as well is it, it, literally like uh, a radio station. So like, it's almost like he didn't want it to be a consistent continuity, but it was like literally it jumps from different, like has that kind of jumpy kind of feel. Yeah. It's, like you said, he's not trying to like, this is going to be my, you know, my 1970s Beach Boys album or something. It's going to, it's like, this is my 1972 album. This is, if you were to just leave the radio on for 10 yeah. songs, this is what you would hear. And yet somehow I think just because of his voice, probably that really, it all still ties together while yeah. not being just any one thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Track seven, Under Your Charms. Only ever the time do you tell me just what you want Can I get some contact? Can I get some contact from you? Can I get some contact with what is real? It's the end of the night and I'm feeling sexual it's the end of the night and I'm feeling sexual Can I get some love back? Can I get some love back? This is my least favorite song on the album. And I don't know if it's just because it comes in the middle of, of a ton of great stuff here. Uh, and it's got a little bit of that, not quite creepy uncle, but like too much information uncle. Like, uh, you know, just the way he talks... It doesn't, you know, it, I think it's supposed to be sexy and it doesn't sound sexy. It's actually yeah. has the opposite <laughs> effect for me. Uh, however, in doing research for this podcast, I noticed a lot of people mention this as their favorite track. And so I don't know if there's something that I'm missing, but this is just uh, not unusual for me to just try to skip this one. What do you think about this one? I don't mind this track. Um, and the chorus is kind of smooth, uh, kind of has a, has a smooth kind of feel to it. But I don't. I think you're right. I like he he isn't. Josh Ralph records aren't aren't sexy. They're kind of like a warm hug, or yeah. like a warm cup of coffee, like that. Like he doesn't. He's not that kind of artist. So it, possibly, if someone else was singing this song, it would sound uh, more suited. Yeah, just that line. It's the end of the night, and I'm feeling sexual. Yeah, and I, I hear him say that. I'm like, you know what? I am not going to feel sexual for the next week because I heard you say that. I need, I need a shower. Because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't even come across as like creepy. So it's not like he's hitting on me or something. It's just more like that weird art teacher you had in high school who wants to talk to you about her lover or something like, no, no, yeah, stop yeah. it. <laughs> if, if, if Marvin Gaye was singing it, then it would be, then you'd probably look at it being different. Yeah, but even even Marvin Gaye saying "Let's get it on" is like okay, yeah, you feel weird, yeah, yeah, you do, you man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I think when 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 you have to spell it right out, it's not always as sexy, but uh, you know, musically it, it's fine. I, it's it's a good song, and just something. This is just always one that's been a little bit, you know, even on your favorite record, one of them has to be your least favorite, and, and this is my least favorite. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about track eight, "Flight Attendant"?
I was surprised how popular this one was when I looked it on on Facebook on a uh, YouTube. That was it was what it had the most views out of all the tracks, which surprised me because it's not one that stands out to me as being like uh, one that would kind of leave a mark. Particularly, I mean, it's, it's okay. Like it's a filler for me. Okay, so this is my favorite track on the album. Really? Yeah, and uh, and that's that's I I love talking about. This has been my favorite part about one of my favorite parts about talking is just getting a feel like where you you have two people who both really like the record and you find that they they really like the record for very different reasons or yeah yeah uh, you know different songs and uh, I I never take offense when somebody dislikes the song that I like the most but opinion it's all everyone has that's the beautiful thing about music everybody has a different yeah i now i think the reason why this one is so popular i think it's on a soundtrack i think it's uh for um on a movie uh, and which i didn't realize until uh, a few years ago because i was doing a different podcast at the time about storytelling and we were going to talk about songs that told a complete story and I chose this song, and unfortunately, we never got to publish it. We had a problem with the uh, with the audio, but um, so I think it's on Eat, Love, Pray or something. I'm not 100 percent sure uh, what it's on, but I didn't know that until I was doing research for that podcast. The direction, because uh, he had uh, directions. The, the song directions of his other album is, is on Vanilla Sky. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. That's, so I know he's been on a few a things, but song, isn't it? And so I think that's why. It probably has hit more on on YouTube, but uh, so this is an absolute highlight of the record for me. And again, this one I think tells a complete story with a real economy of words. And and this is one where the, it opens up with this happy sounding guitar, and then that gives away to kind of a mournful piano, and then they mix throughout the song. And depending on where we are in the song is what's really taking control of of that. But uh, whether it's the piano or the guitar, yeah. And I like how much he can tell you without really telling you. You know, the fact that he says, you know, "Mama's boy," and that he was bullied and such a pretty boy. You know, mentions the Bible Belt, so obviously he's somewhere in the South. And so obviously the idea here is that he is gay in, you know, in Georgia in 1972, and not the easiest time or place to be gay. And his dream is to is to get out, to get out of there. And the way he sees his escape is to become a flight attendant, so to work for an airline. And it says one of my favorite lines is when he says, one day I'll fly free, because that has two different meanings. You know, one day, I'll, like one day I'll get out of here or one day I'll be on an airplane and I don't have to pay for it, <laughs> you know? Huh. And I think that's just that little bit of clever storytelling because it means it means both. I think he's he's from Nebraska, isn't he? Yes. Is, is that is that is that a very kind of Bible? But that's is that kind of like um, conservative? It is conservative. It wouldn't be yeah. Bible Belt because the Bible Belt we think of as being basically the South Southeast. So well, well, this you know I think doesn't necessarily fit with his own upbringing, but um, so anyway, and it's still, but it ends on this note where he's achieved his dream, but he's been stranded alone in the airport. And you're not really sure if this is a victory or not. Uh, and then it has that saxophone that, you know, it's the 1970s. You got to have it there somewhere. So the saxophone kind of plays us out. And I'm not always a fan of that, but I think it works in this song. Yeah. And I just, I, I really like this song. I, li- I like the, the story that it tells. I like the, the way that the music accompanies that story. 
and uh, you're wrong for not liking it, and you're not my friend anymore. (laughs) 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 All right, so track nine, Sparrows Over Birmingham. Fell down on both knees You were young Bones still soft Legs fell numb Oh, how those sparrows sang for you I'm sorry, Birmingham, I can say that for you. Uh, And this is, uh, you know, you can't go the 70s route without having a little bit of gospel. So it's got the gospel thing. And this is the song that took me a while to get into. Uh, because I did like Flight Attendant so much, and I don't really like the voice that starts it, even though I like the singing later when it comes back in towards the last chorus. Mm. But just that, uh, you know, gospel choir, the hey, that starts it. I was like, eh, this feels a little bit, a little bit on the nose, because this is obviously a bit of a, as we talked about, a kind of a, a writer's challenge, almost a songwriter's challenge to do this. And this one felt almost like it was ticking a box. Yeah. Uh, it's still, it's still a good song and it's one that I've had, I've come around to, uh, a bit, but, uh, because this is, it's, you know, I really like the acoustic guitar on this and we don't hear a lot of acoustic guitar on this record. No, Uh, and, 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 and that's what he's kind of, Josh Rouse is a, is a, is a, is a quite a well accomplished guitar player. Actually, he never lets the, his guitar playing overtake the songs. Like the songs are always more important to him than the guitar playing, which is always quite impressive. Yeah, I, I always appreciate it when the guitar player plays in service of the song as opposed to in service of their ego. Yeah, always. Yeah, and, and so this is one that I think it works, and it's got this kind of like slow-moving bass line, and then the organ, like the church organ going on, and then that choir comes back for with the last verse, last verse and a half or something. And that really works for me, so that back and forth between him singing and them singing. And ultimately, I think this is a good song, but one that it took me a while to get into. Do you yeah. have any other thoughts on this? No, I, I think I think you pretty much nailed that that analysis. That track, like, it's it's not necessarily one that that um, jumps out to me again, but it, it's it's one that I kind of do enjoy when it's on. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of those where you don't you won't necessarily cue it up or you won't go straight to it, but when it's yeah. on, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about that, that track. Let's finish it up here. Track ten, rise. Think I'm gonna pass out, think I'll just lay down right here Someone turn the light out, I'll cover myself with a jacket I'll still catch the last ride on a Brooklyn train Rise is where it all started, really, for me with Josh Rao. So it's it has to be probably one of the most my my favorite one of my favorite tracks he's done. It just draws me in, and it like it's like it kind of reminds me of a train like coming in home. Like it reminds me of like coming like from a long journey, and then you're there, and at the end of the track, it kind of has this feeling is like you're back home now. It's all good. Yeah, with it, you know, it uses he's even says he's on a on a train. Yeah, uh, and this just. It, this song I don't think would work anywhere else on the album. This sounds like a last song to me. Yeah, just something yeah, about the way yeah, he played yeah. the guitar. He's just he's playing us out. 
and one of the things that I'm not sure because I kind of I've gone back and forth on is because he uses the phrase or the word landline, yeah, which you wouldn't really refer to something as a landline back in 1972 because there wasn't any other choice. <laughs> yeah, you know, we didn't think of them as landlines at the time. It wasn't until everybody had a cell phone or a mobile phone that we thought of, you know, what was a standard phone as a landline. And that could just be, okay, because it's the end of the album, you know, we're back, we're back home now. You know, he said, there's the train, it's pulling you home. I played on the landline because it's now it's 2003 and, and you maybe have a cell phone or something. I don't know. That's probably thinking way more into it than he thought about with just using that line. But <laughs> as, a, as a songwriter myself, I kind of feel that sometimes you don't think that deeply about the lyrics you write. And sometimes you just find words that fit the song. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. I say I probably thought more about that in five minutes than he thought <laughs> about that at all. I'm, I'm sure it's more of a throwaway thing, or or fits the meter. Yeah. And again, so like with Baby Daddy, it's it's a very minor, minor quibble. And if if you can hold it together for ten songs without throwing a little modern something in there, what are your final thoughts here? I think that uh, this is a record that I think most people would enjoy um, and would have some level of like even if you were. Um, into hard rock or or metal or anything like that, you'd you'd appreciate the musicality in, of it, and it's a if you're in the right mood, it's a perfect record. It's a very charming record, and it's one that it probably doesn't push you very hard. Though I think a, a couple of the songs lyrically can can affect you a bit. Yeah, it's a easy album to just put on and enjoy. It doesn't necessarily have to go in the background, but I guess it can. And I'd like to point out, this is one of the first records I thought about when I wanted to do this show. Because on, uh, on Sunday mornings, when my son was still just a baby, I would let my wife sleep in and I would take care of him on Sundays. And so I'd always try to find so some good music for me to listen to that wouldn't upset a very small baby. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so it started like with some Van Morrison and... And this was one of the ones that I would I would go to all the time. And my thought is I really wanted to just sit down and talk to somebody else who also loves this record. And that's what eventually evolved into this show. So in that original list of albums I put out, this was one of the first ones I wrote down. Mm-hmm. And through, what am I at, about... 30 something episodes this is you were the first person who said yeah that's the one for me so it's been i've been very excited about uh, about doing this one yeah uh, and again it, it comes across as more of just like a, a writer's experiment that could have gone awry but it didn't because he didn't try to hone in on any one thing uh and that's what really as i said a, a little bit earlier what really makes this successful and why it's so just so listenable now, I was born in 1972, so I remember this kind of vibe. My mom was an AM radio listener. This feels like it's going back into my DNA just a little bit, even though that's not where I landed, but this was uh, a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that too. And I, I, I think that Josh Ross has, across all his records, like we said before, it's never going to change your world, but it has a certain charm that can bring you in and can affect you. That is that is definitely the case. So he's, I, I, you know, I would recommend at least everything up to this record because I've listened to those. Anything past that, I, I only know superficially, if at all. Uh, but definitely worth checking out. He's an artist that's definitely worth your time. Even the um, second half of his album, like post that as well, it, there's a continuity that is like it hasn't changed much. 
it's just got more honed. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely worth listening to the records too. Yeah, I'm anxious to hear the, the Spanish language stuff that you were talking about and just see where, where he's gone with his guitar playing. It's definitely worth checking out. It's cool. Yeah, so I would encourage all of my listeners to check out 1972 by Josh Rouse. I would also encourage everybody to listen to the new DHT EP by DHT. <laughs> uh, and I noticed on, on your uh, songs, you, on this, on the EP, what, almost half of them are acronyms. And you had, what, two on Neil that were acronyms as well? Is that, uh, is that a go-to thing for you or is that just a little bit of a coincidence? I think that it's laziness when we're in the studio that we go, oh, that that's the track and we save it and that's it. <laughs> All right. So I would encourage everybody to check that out uh, as well. If you are listening to this podcast, if you want to uh, subscribe, like, rate, review, whatever it is that you're supposed to do so more people listen, I would appreciate it. If you would like to guest host a record, why don't you head over to my website, lovethisrecord.com. Check out the wish list to see if there's anything there that you fucking love and would like to talk to me about. <laughs> Drop me an email at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. So, Dan, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, this has been a whole lot of fun. I'm really glad I finally got to talk to somebody uh, about this record with. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you, Z. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.